Romans 14. There is no doubt about the importance that God places on the unity of His people. In Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and how pleasant it is for brothers to dwell together in unity. It is like the good oil upon the head coming down upon the beard, Aaron's beard, coming down upon the edge of the robes. It is like the dew of Hermon coming down upon the mountains of Zion. For there Yahweh commanded the blessing, life forever. Our community is of the utmost importance. Last week we finished up chapter 13 where Paul talked about and started the theme that he began back in chapter 12. He, He continued with it. That we are to love one another. That there is to be unity among God's people. Now let me... Let me stress here that there's a difference between unity and uniformity, okay? We, we don't have to be in uniformity. We don't all have to dress alike. You don't all have to think like I do and act like I do. And that's a good thing, by the way. Amen. <laughs> <laughs> but there must be unity. Unity of purpose. We seek to glorify God. And Jesus said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples. When you have love for one another. We are to love one another. But at the same time, diversity is characteristic of the church. Uh, In 1 Corinthians Paul talks about this in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 17 and 18. He says, if the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole were hearing, then where would the sense of smell be? But now God, pay attention to verse 18 here. But now God has appointed the members, each of them in the body, just as he desired. We're all different But we're all one. He made us different so that he could make us one. And so the church church in Rome that Paul was writing this letter to, it it consisted of both Jews and Gentile Christians. And so their backgrounds had very little in common. The Jews had come from a background that, that from the day they're born, they're taught To obey the law. They're taught to go to the temple. They're taught to keep the Sabbath. They're taught all these things. Whereas the Gentiles, most of them had come out of a pagan background where it was just a free-for-all. They could do anything they wanted to. And so these Jewish Christians had come to the conclusion that even though they were saved, they still felt the need to observe some of the laws that God had given us. Specifically, here Paul mentions the dietary laws, uh, where there, there were certain things that they could not eat. Listen, one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible, man, listen to this. In the Old Testament, God gave the Jews the, the dietary laws, and there were certain things they could not eat. Okay, Then in the book of Acts, we find where Peter's up on the roof, And a sheet comes down. What are you laughing at, Cindy? (laughs) And a sheet comes down. 
And the Lord says, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter says, no, Lord, there's things in here you have forbidden me to eat. And God said, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. All right. Now, let's come back to that. The overall lesson that God's trying to teach Peter here is this. God is about to send Peter to the Gentiles, to a man named Cornelius. And so God is saying, Peter, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. That sheet is one of the most beautiful pictures in the Bible because now we can eat bacon. And ham. But specifically bacon. But these Jews here in Rome, <clears throat> Paul says, you know, well, look, look with me. at let's, let's read the first 12 verses of chapter 14. Paul says, now accept the one who is weak in faith, but not for the purpose of passing judgment on opinions. One person has faith that he may eat all things, but he who is weak eats vegetables only. The one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats, for God accepted him. Who are you to judge the servant of another? To his own master he stands or falls. And he will stand, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person judges one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Every, each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards the day regards it for the Lord, and he who eats, eats for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who does not eat, for the Lord he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. But you, why do you judge your brother? Or you again, why do you view your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, to me every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. So these Jewish believers here in Rome, Paul calls them weak in the faith. Let me rephrase that. Paul calls them weak in faith, not weak in the faith. You see the difference? They were not weak in the faith. They, they were saved and they did not believe that in order to be saved, they had to abstain from certain kinds of meat. Okay, They did not think that way, like the Judaizers had taught the Galatians. What they believed was that, that they believed they were saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But they felt that to them, it was an offense to eat meat that God had forbidden Okay, and so here's the situation they had. They felt that uh, the vegetarian diet was safest because it was difficult for them to determine whether the meat they were buying was kosher meat or not, whether it was uh, appropriate for them to eat. And so and, and there were those in Rome who had no problem with eating meat. 
And so these two naturally, there was there there came to be a tension between the two. <clears throat> and Paul calls the those who did not eat meat, he calls them weak and and the, the law-observing Jewish Christians he called weak, and the Gentile Christians he called strong. There's no doubt about the relevance of the theme. Way too often, judging one another becomes the favorite pastime of people in the church. We've seen it throughout history. We've seen it. We will continue to see it throughout history. And Paul is, is dealing with this right here. You know, I, I, I found this little, this little, I guess you'd call it a poem. Okay, listen to this. This is, this is what we are. We say, believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel. Think only as I think. Eat what I eat. Eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I do. Do always as I do. Then and only then will I have fellowship with you. This is not the attitude that we as believers should have. Uh, what do we do to maintain unity in the church? Well, in the first three verses, Paul tells us that genuine acceptance of one another is our only option. The one who is weak in faith, and like I said, he's not talking about those who are weak in the faith, but weak in faith. Uh, it, it, they are weak in the assurance that their faith permits them to do certain things, such as eating meat. All right? Now, this this theme that Paul, we're only going to cover the first 12 verses of chapter 14, but this goes all the way into chapter 15. All right, so we will, uh, the next couple of weeks, we will still be talking about this. <clears throat> the fact that those who are weak, Paul says, are to be wholeheartedly accepted. And this acceptance is to be mutual on both parts. The strong look down on the weak, and the weak were offended by the strong, and too often, we've all been guilty of doing both of these. The answer to this is simply this. You ready? Love one another as I have loved you. That's the answer. Now, we need to, we, and you will hear me say this several times because this is so important. We must distinguish between what Paul is saying here. <clears throat> when there is open, blatant sin in the church, yes, we are to judge. And yes, we are to call out. And yes, it may even separate us. That's not what Paul's talking about here. Here, Paul is talking about non-essential issues. He's talking about those issues that yet you believe this and I believe that, but they're not relevant to our salvation. You understand? So that's where Paul's coming from here. And, and these two here, and he's talking to these Christians in Rome, and he's saying, this guy doesn't believe in eating meat. And Paul says, so what? And he so says, says, they like to eat Whataburger. So what? <laughs> Come on, you knew it was coming. Okay, Paul said, this guy likes to eat nothing but a salad. You need to accept him and love him. This guy likes T-bones. You need to love him and accept him. Okay, is that better? Or probably a bacon sandwich would have been more appropriate for what Paul was saying. But you see, Paul says that, that there is to be mutual acceptance of one another in this. How do we apply this today? You know, meat eating is not really an issue 
in our, in our churches today. So <clears throat> uh, there's some issues about which we as Christians allow ourselves to be divided, and we shouldn't. We shouldn't be. You know, uh, <clears throat> there's the issue of um, alcohol, smoking, dancing, music, uh, material wealth. And you have believers who... They're in a restaurant and they see someone take a drink of wine. And I mean, they're just devastated by this. You know, where, you know, you, you have this one over here and he offers somebody a, a, a glass of wine or a drink of beer. And, and, and he says, I just don't understand. Why wouldn't they drink it? And they become divided over these things or the issue of smoking or dancing. You know, I remember when I was a kid, now, I grew up in a denomination that was extremely legalistic. You didn't drink, you didn't smoke, you didn't dance. It's kind of hard for a teenager. Don't look at me that way. <laughs> Listen, I remember my grandmother, godly woman. I went to the movies and she said, what are you going to do if the Lord comes while you're at the movies? And I said, you don't think he can find me there? <laughs> But her point was, it was sinful to go. And, and these are, you know, according to Romans 14, wherever you stand on these issues, you must accept your brother or sister that differs in this issue. And, and as again, we're not talking about the basic doctrines such as sin or the deity of Christ or salvation by faith. Those are essentials, okay? Now, if we differ in those things, we have a problem. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's talking about the non-negotiables. Paul is talking about, uh, those are the non-negotiables. Paul is talking about the non-essentials. And there in verse 5, he says, One person judges one day above another. Another regards every day alike. Each person must be fully convinced in his own mind. He who regards the day regards it for the Lord. And he who eats, eats for the Lord. For he gives thanks to God, and he who does not eat for the Lord, he does not eat, and gives thanks to God. The controversy over days here probably centered around the observance of the Sabbath day. The, the, the religious Jews, the Jewish Christians had grown up their entire lives centered around this observance of the Sabbath day. And it was something that they just couldn't get away from. I mean, you know, I, I remember years ago, I met a lady who grew up for the first 35 years of her life. She was a Jehovah's Witness. Now, I don't know what you know about Jehovah's Witnesses, but let me tell you, they are a cult to the core. And one day, she told me she was standing outside a Christian bookstore. She wanted to go in, but she just couldn't. And she said, I, she said, I literally began to cry. And she said, there was a lady walked up to me and asked me if I was all right. And I told her kind of my story. And she said, that lady stood there and told me something I had never heard in my 35 years in a Jehovah's Witness. She said, I heard the gospel. And right there, standing in front of that bookstore, I got saved. But she said, here's the thing. She said, this was like, I think she said like 10 years prior she said, but here's the thing. She said, there are some aspects of it that I just can't get past. She said, every time I hear a preacher preach 
on the deity of Jesus Christ, she said, I cringe. She said, and I hate that, but I can't help it. Because the Jehovah's Witnesses teach that Jesus is not God. And, 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 they were, and this, is the, this is the kind of thing that some of these Jewish believers were going through. The controversy over the, the over days here, probably uh, Sabbath observant, the, the Christian Jews by their conscience demanded it. And they observed it. And the Christian Gentile viewed every day as being the same. Okay, now again, here's what Paul is saying. They, they observe the Sabbath day as being a special day. And Paul looks at these others and says, so what? He looks at them and says, these observe every day being the same. And he looks at them and says, so what? See, this is the attitude that we must have. We cannot, these, Satan is very subtle and he will allow small, insignificant things to come between us. And Paul says, this must not be the evidence, though, that both the strong and the weak have their hearts in the right place. Is that you notice what Paul says? They give thanks to God. They give thanks to him. So and, and I think it's important that we understand here that these two these two groups that Paul is talking about here, they are both saved. OK, they are saved. They, they, they are the only difference between them, Paul says, he says, you're passing judgment on one another over things that really don't matter. And people with opposing views on non-essentials can be perfectly right with God. Charles Haddon Spurgeon had a fellow preacher friend whose name was Joseph Parker. And Spurgeon and Parker were friends for years. Sometimes Parker would fill the pulpit for Spurgeon. Sometimes Spurgeon would go and fill the pulpit for Parker. <clears throat> and then one day Spurgeon found out that Parker loved to go to the theater. And Spurgeon was just devastated. Because to him, if you were a Christian and especially a man of God, you did not go to the theater. And Parker looked at him and he said, Charles... He said, it offends me that you smoke cigars. And the two men parted ways. And they were estranged from one another. And the story says that sometime later, on a Sunday evening, Parker was in his church preaching. Spurgeon was in his church preaching. Neither one knew what was going on. But they were both preaching the same passage of Scripture. Romans 14, 1 through 12. And Spurgeon says he became so convicted by the fact that he had allowed such an insignificant thing to come between him and his friend, his brother. Parker felt the same way. The next evening, Monday evening, Spurgeon went down and he waited in front of the theater. He knew that Parker would be there. And he waited there in front of the theater. He saw Parker come and he ran up and he hugged him and went into the theater with him. After the theater, they went to the park and Parker sat there and talked while Spurgeon smoked a cigar. That's right, to the glory of God. That's true. 
But you see how they let how they let something so insignificant come between them. Now, now here's the thing, though. You know, if you'd have been there and said said to Spurgeon, "Oh, Spurgeon, you're wrong." Now he would have stood his ground and said, "No, it's wrong to do that." And if you'd asked Parker, he'd have said, "Oh, no believing Christian should ever be putting tobacco in his mouth and smoking cigars or cigarettes or anything else." They would have both stood, thought they were in the right. That's the thing, they were both in the right, and they were both in the wrong. That makes sense. You know, there's another place where Paul talks about, and, we, and we'll probably talk about this more as we go through this later on, neither next week or the following week, but I want to bring it up right now. Something that Paul tells, uh, I think it's the Corinthians. <clears throat> One person believes it's all right to eat meat, and another does not. And Paul says, you know what, if it offends my brother for me to eat meat, then I'm not going to eat it around him. Okay, he, he, he did add that part. <laughs> but you see, we often have this attitude, you know what I'm doing, does it bother you? Well, that's your business, that's your problem, not mine. And Paul says, no, to there to be unity in the church, for there to be love in the church, then I'm not to be a stumbling block to anybody. He, say, he says, you know, that we are to think of everyone as being better than ourselves. Now, that comes naturally to us, doesn't it? No. Paul says that we are always to think of the things of others before we think of our own things. Always putting others before ourselves. And so here he's telling these people this. He's saying, look, don't judge one another over these insignificant things. And in verses 7 through 12, he says, For not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, and if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. Just pretty cut and dry right there. He, he emphasizes in this, in this passage, verses 7 through 12, the lordship of Jesus Christ is the foundational truth for unity in the church. And here Paul is pointing them and he's saying, stop looking at one another and start looking at him. We all have our faults. We all have our pet sins. I may not like the way somebody dresses. And I may say, well, that's inappropriate to come to church dressed like that. You sh Every man should wear a suit and tie. And if you don't, you're in the wrong. <laughs> now, y'all know I don't feel that way, right? But that's the point I'm making is sometimes that's how we do. You know what I'm saying? Now, I will say, and I stand by this, if you stand behind this pulpit, you will have this on. Okay? Right, Tim? Tim always does. But you see, that's where Paul, that's where we come to. We, 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 we have these, these pet things and, you know, here's, here's what happens. You throw a grain of sand, just a grain of sand, into some machinery. And it doesn't seem to do much, but it does. Then you throw another one in there, and a little more in there, little at a time. And this is what Satan does. He comes into our churches and he says, can you believe so-and-so came to church dressed like that? 
Can you believe they sang a song like that in church? Can you believe so-and-so drank a glass of wine? We need to call the elders together. There needs to be discipline. And it's these, these little bitty things that we allow to come between us. And Paul here in, in, last, in these uh, verses 7 through 12, he's saying, look, you need to remember something. I'm going to stand before God and I'm going to give an account. You ready for this? For me. Can you imagine I stand there before God? The Lord says, okay, what do you really think about Tim? What do you think about the fact that he said amen when you were talking about Waterburn? Talk about this. Listen, I am glad that the Lord is not going to ask you about me. Or that he's going to ask me about you. Paul says we all will stand. Up in verse um, 3, Paul says, The one who eats must not view the one who does not eat with contempt. And the one who does not eat must not judge the one who eats. For God accepted him. Verse 4, who are you to judge the servant of another to his own master? He stands or falls and he will stand for the Lord is able to make him stand. Paul keeps pointing us back to Christ. And here in, in the last part of this, this, this passage right here, he's pointing us to the time when Paul says we will all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Paul says, stop trying to be God to one another. All of us are going to stand before the Bema. You know what the Bema is? That's the judgment seat of Christ. One day the Lord Jesus will come. He will gather his church and we will stand before him and give an account before the judge. Now, we will not be judged for our sin. Okay, that's done. That's over with. That was settled at the cross. But we will give an account of the life, the works that we've done since we have been saved. And, and, and I, I cannot imagine standing before Jesus and hearing him say, you parted ways with your brother over such a stupid thing. What did that have to do with anything? And I say, well, it offended me. And he says, so? What do you think the world thought when they saw it? Did they see love between you like I showed? Uh, did they see love between the two of you like I showed? All of us are going to stand. And there our works as believers will be judged. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Paul goes a little more in depth into this. First Corinthians chapter 3 beginning with verse 12. <clears throat> Paul says, now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, or straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will indicate it, because it is revealed with fire, and the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. 
If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved just so as through fire. And Paul's talking there in 1 Corinthians about the same thing he's talking about here in Romans chapter 14. He says, every man's work will be tested by fire. And you know, when Jesus in the book of Revelation, when John sees the, the, the vision of Christ, he had eyes like flames of fire. By the way, you know, there in Revelation, when John sees Jesus, his hair and his head are white like wool. He has feet of bronze, eyes of fire. But do you know who it is that he's about to encounter? It's the church. It's not the world. It's the church. And Jesus said, I stand among the lampstands. The lampstands represent the churches. And, and he says, I can blow them out anytime I want. And he tells them time after time, repent, repent, repent. And I think that, that, that you and I, we must come to a place where we repent and say, Brother, I'm sorry that I let this little thing come between us. Sister, I'm sorry we let this little thing come between us. There are the essentials, and we agree on those, and we will fight to the death for those things together. And we've got to stop letting these terrible, penny-ante things come between us. You understand that? That's what he says. You know what? You know what these lead to? I can just picture this in my mind. <clears throat> this Gentile believer in Rome, he goes to an elder meeting. He's an elder. He goes to an elder meeting. And all the elders are there. The, the meeting's over and you know, they all leave in one by one, and one goes out, and he grabs these others and says, Hey, hang on, don't leave yet. You know, Brother So-and-so, I saw him the other day. He was eating a salad. We need to do something. We need to go to him and let him know it's okay to eat that meat, and if he don't, then he's not as spiritual as we are. Do you think stuff like that don't happen? Then you hadn't been in churches very long. <laughs> yes, they happen. And the next thing you know, you've got a rift in the church. You've got these people siding with this one and these people siding with that one over something stupid. That's the only way I know to put it. I mean, because isn't that really what this was? <laughs> By the way, you're not offended that I eat Whataburger, right? Because you know if you are, I have to stop. <laughs> and say I want to, I said I have to. That's what Paul said. Now listen, we, we must come to, to understand here what he's saying. He's, he, he's going, you know, he started this back in chapter 12. Look at chapter 12, verse 9. He says, let love be without hypocrisy. By abhorring what is evil and clinging to what is good, being devoted to one another in brotherly love, giving preference to one another in honor. Now, I can't do that. There are times that I let small, insignificant things come between me and someone else. 
So how do we remedy that? Well, Paul's already told us several times. Every week we've been talking since we've been in chapter 12. You've got to go back to chapter 12, verse 1 and 2. Therefore, I exhort you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a sacrifice, living, holy, and pleasing to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may approve what the perfect will of God is and that which is good and pleasing and perfect. So here's the answer. If I want to have a, be in this church and there's going to be unity among us and we're not going to let these insignificant things come between us, Paul says the answer, the way to do that, give yourself to God. Give yourself to Christ. Become His. And let your love be genuine. Don't let your love be hypocritical. Is it not wonderful that the final judgment is up to God. His evaluation, I promise you, will be absolutely perfect. This whole section all the way through chapter 15 and verse 6 is part of an extended commentary on one thing. Love one another as I have loved you. Do we love each other? Do you love me? Do I love you? You know, I love my wife. And there's been times that we have let stupid things come between us. We have. And, and if you're married and you say that's never happened, you're a liar. <laughs> Seriously. But you know what? There comes a point where we say, you know what, that's a stupid thing to be fighting over. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you all something I told her <clears throat> years ago. And you may disagree with me, but you know what the most stupid thing any married couple can ever fight over is? Money. Money. And I say that because that's what mostly what we fight over. Well, I don't mean that's what we fight over. I mean that's what we all fight <laughs> Well, now we used to. <laughs> but listen, Paul says, love one another. And, and if, I, if I love you the way that he's loved me, what is there that I could possibly do to you to make you stop loving me if you love me the way Christ does? Nothing. What is it you could possibly say, could possibly do to make me not love you if I love you the way Christ says? Nothing. Nothing. May God give us the wisdom to see what's essential and what's not. Now, let me, let me tell you something here. To that vegetarian Jewish Christian, that was important to him. Paul does not minimize that. To that meat-eating Gentile Christian, that was important to him. And Paul does not minimize that. It's not that the non-essentials are not important. But they're not important enough. We may divide over those, those differences we have about essentials. The non-negotiables. And rightly we should. 
You know, we should not have fellowship with anyone who does not believe, uh, that does not understand the, the, the seriousness of sin. We should not be in fellowship with those who deny the deity of Christ. We should not be in fellowship with those who do not understand the, the justification and salvation by faith alone in Christ alone. Listen, if you want to sit home and drink a beer, I'm not going to say a word. If you want to sit there in your truck and smoke a pack of cigarettes, I'm not going to say a word. If you're okay with it in your conscience, then I'm okay with it in mine. That's what Paul says. If you want to eat meat, or if you want to be a vegetarian. Now, I find, okay, I find it interesting. I find it interesting that Paul calls the vegetarians weak. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, seriously, and the meat eaters strong. <laughs> but the point is, folks, we love one another and we don't pass judgment on one another because of things that we differ on in, in things that are non-essential. And you know what? It's very simple to figure out what's non-essential. You say, well, I believe this and I say, well, I believe this. And we say, OK, how does that relate to salvation? Does that keep me from being saved? Is that going to keep me out of heaven? If the answer is no, then it's a non-essential. Didn't say it wasn't important. I know there's some here that disagree with uh, the, the matter of eschatology with me. And to them it's important. And to me it's important. But it's not something we can disagree with, that we can be separated over because one day they'll find out I'm right. I tried hard not to look that way. <laughs> you know I love you. <laughs> Let's just love one another. That's what he calls us to do. Okay? Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning. Thank you, Father, that, that, that you have called us together and that we're all different. And Father, we recognize that you have called us to love one another as you have loved us. And Father, that's difficult for us. So Lord, we ask you to help us that we present our bodies to you as a living sacrifice. Lord, that you might love through us, that we would not allow these, non, these insignificant things to come between us. Father, that we would love with a pure heart. Love with genuineness. And Father, that that love would, would show in the way that we treat one another, in the way that we talk to one another, in the way that we make allowances for one another. And Father, right now as we come to your table, God, I ask that you would just speak to us. May we see the gospel this morning. And I pray that each one of us would search our hearts Father, that we would know that we must not come to your table unless we have a clean hands and pure heart. Father, hands and a heart that have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. For it's what we come and remember what he's done for us.